the Sales Enablement Society Stories from the Trenches, where enablement practitioners share their real-world experiences. Get the scoop on what's happening inside sales enablement teams across the global SES member community. Each segment of Stories from the Trenches share the good, the bad, and the ugly practices of corporate sales enablement initiatives. Learn what worked, what didn't work, and how obstacles were eliminated by corporate teams and leadership. Sit back, grab a cold one, and join host Paul Butterfield, Vice President of Sales Enablement at Instructure, for casual conversations about the wide and varied profession of sales enablement, where there is never a one-size-fits-all solution. Welcome back to Stories from the Trenches, the podcast where really it's for us, by us, and where people that do what we do every day get together and talk about common challenges, but more importantly, the successes and the wins that we're achieving and how we're going about doing it so that we can all learn from one another. So I'm really excited to have you all back for this episode and also to have Lisa Hammock as our guest here. Welcome, Lisa. Thanks, Paul. I'm happy to be here. So, Lisa, I know that you're the Senior Director for Global Sales Enablement, but would you like to maybe just fill in our audience a little bit about, about the company that you work for and, and a little bit more detail about your role there in the team? Absolutely. I actually am the Head of Global Sales Enablement at Cornerstone On Demand. A little bit about Cornerstone, it's a SaaS software company focused on talent management. And I've been with the company almost five years, which is incredible. It's been the fastest five years of my life. Yeah. And uh, have, have actually taken over as the global responsibility about a year ago. Before that, I had Americas and then also owned onboarding. And actually, five years is a long time. And as weird as it sounds, it seems like it's a long time in the SaaS world, period. Have you noticed that? Just, uh, just, yeah. I agree. Yeah. So congratulations. Sounds like things are going really well for you there. So before we jump into the meat of our conversation, for our listeners to get a little bit more sense of who, who Lisa is away from work. You know, if you were stranded on a desert island, and I know it's ridiculous promotion, but, but you had a turntable and could only have three albums with you, right? What would your top three desert island albums be and why? Okay, that is a great question. So, so these are probably going to sound a little random, but, you know, we like to move <laughs> around on our, on our music. So I think number one would be Beatles' Greatest Hits, uh, kind of to get a little retro. Mm-hmm. And second would have to be Taylor Swift Red, only because uh, I have two beautiful daughters who drug me to like five Taylor Swift concerts over the years, and that's my favorite. And uh, enjoy listening to that. And the third is a band you've probably never heard of. It's called Need to Breathe. Okay. I actually saw them a couple nights ago in concert. They're a, a Christian rock band out of the South, and they're incredible. So if you, you've never heard them, I, I definitely highly recommend them. They're, they're, they have just unbelievable talent. And, and what was the name again of the band? Need Need to Breathe. Need to Breathe. I will I will check yes. that out. You know, awesome. as you and I were talking, I I'm just into the music. You know, whether whatever the label is, Christian yeah. rock or hip hop or whatever yeah. it is, I just like songs. I don't care, right? So yeah. thank you for the tip. You, you, I will check will that them. out. Yeah, I'm also a T Swift <laughs> fan, although not clearly not as as deeply as you and your girls. Um, yeah. And uh, but you got me at Beatles. You know, I um, I had a, a a I have a young mother, relatively I was the oldest, firstborn, and she actually went to a Beatles concert when I was about a year old, and I don't remember that Baltimore Civic Center. Oh wow! But she had Beatles music playing constantly all the way the years I'm growing up. So my earliest memories. So yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Had that had me at that. 
All right, so let's let's talk about some of the cool stuff that you have been doing over there with your team. And you know, the the, the overall topic that that I um, that I'm excited for you to share with all of us is how the team is using data and metrics in a bit of a unique way. I don't want to steal the thunder, but a unique way from how we often think about it in sales enablement and even talk about it. But I'd like to start with you sharing what was the goal or what is the goal of this program you put together and then maybe back into that what it is that you're actually doing. That's a great question. So the goal of the program is really twofold. Um, first, you know, obviously in order to drive positive change, we always need to periodically evaluate our team and how they're performing and use that information to drive enablement to help uplevel the skills where we find gaps. You know, we do this analysis and it leads to either development plans or a performance plan over time. And one of the ways by doing this analysis the way we do it, it really helps us narrow the gap by focusing on where the reps really need help or where they need the uploading those skills. Mm-hmm. An example of this and where we've seen it is, is kind of your middle of the tier players, your B players. And those reps are usually the ones that, you know, they're doing okay. But by really focusing on a few key areas that we've identified, even if you can help them improve, if you think about it, 5 to 10%, that can have a huge impact to the company, both in increasing their productivity and, and really leading to increased revenue, which is obviously all of our goals. So in other words, you're, you're looking at your B play, rather than trying to focus on boiling the ocean and fixing the whole sales org, that you're focusing on where you think the most opportunity is. And that's typically having a certain percentage of your, I'm just going to call them B players. I don't mean anything you know, right. rude Middle by tier. it, but <laughs> yeah, add, or tier two players and moving them into tier one. That's where you generally see some of the greatest opportunity. Absolutely. Okay, cool. So a little bit of how we're doing that is by using both what we call quantitative and qualitative data, your, your hard data coming from your CRM, and then your softer data coming from doing more of a competency analysis. Let's jump into those because they sound like they are pretty much equally critical. And there's a lot of ways I, I want to let's start with more of the soft analysis, right? The sales skills analysis, that sort of thing. There's a lot of ways to gather that, but I'd love to hear you talk about what ways or ways have you been finding success in getting that? Because that is such um, subjective information. It's it's sometimes Mm -hmm. hard to gather stuff that you can really take action on. So how is that working for you? This is something that actually has, um, we've changed a little bit over time. So we worked, we partnered with our talent team to define our sales competencies by role, and then also came up with a five-point scale for that qualitative measurement. Again, this has evolved. When we first rolled it out, they were very subjective in nature. But in the past year, we've really been able to narrow that down and define more clearly and, and really to align that with our sales methodology and really define what the successful skills are that reps display on a consistent basis to make them successful. So I'll be honest, when we first rolled it out, managers really struggled because it was very subjective. Mm-hmm. But by tying it to those specific actions tied to our sales methodology, we've really been able to get much better data. Would it be helpful for the rest of us to know which sales methodology you're using? Is it homegrown? I mean, I, th- I think it would be helpful if you it don't is. mind sharing. It is homegrown. So okay. it's, it's a little bit of a, the best of the best. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. So sales methodology, greatest hits. I don't remember who said it once, but I thought it made a lot of sense. And that and, and that, that they said whenever someone asks them what's the best sales methodology, their answer is the one you consistently use. And I think there's a lot of truth exactly. in that. Yeah. There All right. No doubt. So you got the methodology, you're aligning to that. And then you also mentioned pulling hard data. 
So let's let's pivot to that for a minute. What data are you yeah. finding helpful? So we work really closely with our sales insights team. And this is something that really was led first by our sales leadership, really saying we need to understand better about how our teams are performing. So the sales insights team pulls a number of quantitative metrics to really compare how reps are doing in comparison to their peer group. And what, what we're doing is they're, they're running reports, looking at some of your common things that, you're, you know, pipeline, win rate, quota attainment, renewals, upsells, cross-sells. And we also take into effect, obviously, tenure. So if they're new, mm-hmm. if they're too new to rate, we'll still rate them, but we won't put them on the, on the bell curve, okay. per se. And what's new in your world? How much time do they need on the job? It's a complex sale. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. So um, until they get to like nine to 12 months, we do not include them. Okay. That makes sense. Enterprise sales take a long time to ramp. Great. Correct. So you're working with your sales insights team. You're working with your talent team. And I find that one interesting because at least in my experience, again, I don't hear a lot of people talking about sales enablement and talent working together. Was that something that in your experience was something new that you guys uh, started doing there? I'd love to hear a little bit more about how that relationship got started and how you're nurturing it. It is. And I have to say, I think part of it comes from our culture because that is really what our company is all about. (laughs) So we sell talent management software and we've always had a good relationship with talent. So in the past couple of years is when we started to realize that what they were doing as far as like looking at skills and competencies that we could work really closely with them to help take that, create development plans and help that kind of decide what some of the enablement we were going to be doing on the sales end. It's a great partnership. We could probably do a whole podcast around that because again, it's it's a partnership that I believe should be happening a lot more in our industry. And maybe it is, and I'm just the one out of the loop, Mm -hmm. but it's not when you hear, hear people talk about a lot. So thanks for sharing that. So you mentioned that you're using quantitative and qualitative uh, data. You mentioned a couple of the quantitative metrics you're using. And I'd like to hear more about that. But the way I want to approach it is just go into a little more specifics of how the team is processing and using that to drive programs and, and maybe some examples. And in the process of doing that, I suspect we'll end up talking about some of the actual actual metrics that they're using and applying. So the sales insights team um, is taking both the quantitative and qualitative data. So the data there, the hard data, and then the data um, that the managers are doing the assessment. Mm-hmm. And they're combining those into a, into a one to one score for each rep. Okay. And then at, the po- at that point in time, that's where they're ranking them on that five-point scale. So the, the reps that are better than 75% of their peer group receive a five. Those performing, I think, better than 50% receive a four. Those below 50% of three, below 75% of two, and below 85, 7.5% of one. So again, everybody's metrics could be different, right? Right. But by looking at that, they're able to come up with that score. And this is where we start working specifically with our frontline managers on figuring out based on the score, what the development plan, like where are the skill gaps based on how they're being ranked and how they're doing. So with that development plan, you know, we're identifying specific skills that we would like to up-level on our, our skill. And so, you know, it's, it's and it can be all kinds of things. So if you think about, like, if they're not good at closing, sometimes we say, okay, obviously, if we have a, a number of folks that aren't good at that, then maybe we need to run negotiation training. Or if it finds that they're not really good at the discovery, maybe we need to go back and do some reskilling on that area. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's a whole gamut. If you look at any part of the sales cycle, there's enablement that could apply. Yes, I agree. And how large is your sales organization? I think I forgot to ask you that when we were prepping. We're close to about 
600. Now that includes BDRs, direct account managers, and we, we also are responsible for customer uh, success. Okay. So. All right. So that's a broad mix of folks and roles. Now I'm curious, do you use the same process for your CS team uh, that you just described you're doing with the sales team? Yeah, we okay. do not. <laughs> okay. Okay. So yeah, it's a little bit so different assessment yeah. there. Those okay. Completely different. Correct. That, and I, that actually makes sense to me. Yeah. But that's still a lot of sales, a lot of quota carriers that you're dealing with. And Correct. it doesn't sound like you're hiring a lot of entry-level salespeople. So I'm going to assume that they, for the most part, they come with experience. But in my personal experience, even so with that large a number, you're going to have a real range of skills and abilities. What I think I heard you just say is one of the things you're looking for is trends, and then you can create specific enablement to help fill the gaps in those trends. Again, whether it's discovery or closing or objection handling, that type of thing. So you've got a trend where you've got a certain percentage of the salespeople that seem to be struggling with this. And so we're going to go roll out a program for them. What about the individuals? I don't want to discount the importance of manager, direct frontline manager coaching in this process. But when people are struggling and there may not be a lot of them or as many of them, when I was uh, leading sales enablement at Vonage, our SVP of sales for North America, he termed it scrub club. And we we, we never actually <laughs> called it that, but I, I just use it to illustrate because that's really what we were trying to solve for is how do we help bring along people that are coachable because they, they got to be coachable, yeah. but they're just struggling, but yet it's a small percentage of the team. Have you found a way to use this data to maybe customize or or help those folks? Absolutely. So interesting you say that because, you know, at the the core, coaching, you know, and continually holding conversations with your people is still the most powerful tool, right? Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) Above and beyond any enablement we can give them. So we work really closely with the managers to kind of determine, is it a class they need to take? Is it, can we do additional coaching? Are there role plays we can do? So yeah, we individualize enablement kind of depending on what the need is. We work with our managers, but our team will take responsibility for some of that and the managers will. But we have a manager first approach mm-hmm. here, mm-hmm. which means we feel like first and foremost, we need to support our managers because they're that front line. Right. So I agree. And I'm not sure, you know, before you were doing sales enablement, if you were in sales or you came from another background, I grew mm-hmm. up in sales and sales enablement yeah. came relatively late in my career. And so one of the things I had no illusions about from day one is that I no longer had any direct influence over the, over the sales teams. We can, we, 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 you know, we can create great programs and, and, and we all try really hard to make these things they want to participate in and that they actually feel are helping them be successful. But at the end of it all, if their manager's not asking them about it in their one-on-ones or their pipeline reviews, it just is never going to get off the ground. So I think I'm just exactly. violently agreeing with you on that point that it just they just have to be engaged. And it sounds like you've been able to build some pretty good relationships there. Yeah, we try. <laughs> oh, right. So let's talk about that for yeah. a minute. I mean, the coolest ideas in the world don't implement as smoothly or prove that you maybe find some road bumps you didn't anticipate. So have you had challenges in implementing this scorecard approach? And if so, I'd love to hear about them and, and how you overcame them. Absolutely. <laughs> So, um, you know, I'll be honest, at first we rolled this out as a quarterly process, but we found out quickly that did not give our managers enough time to really fully evaluate their team. And it certainly didn't give our team enough time to put development activities in place. So too many cycles. Got it. There were way too many. Yeah. So uh, we recently have moved this to a biannual process instead. 
which has been really beneficial because it helps us prioritize and mm-hmm. reevaluate, you know, our ongoing programs and, and really offer enablement on a more frequent basis, you know, and also look at like, is it a, like, just like you said, is it a monthly class? You know, is there a great number that need this? Is it more individualized? So what we need to do with that and doing that quarterly, honestly, it just didn't give us enough time, both managers and our team to react. How long have you had this process in place or at least been uh, developing it? We've had it in place almost three years, but I'll, honestly, we took a little bit of a gap here <laughs> because we, uh, during the beginning of the pandemic, we made a, a pretty major acquisition of one of our competitors. Got so it. with that and just with the whole transformation, we kind of took a pause. So we're just now, um, we're just now uh, reinstituting it. But as I said, I think a couple things. So the quarterly evaluations mm-hmm. were something we had to relook at. Also, as I mentioned before, the way we were doing the competency assessments, I think it was way too broad and subjective at the beginning and our managers really struggled. So as we've kind of taken the approach now, tying it closer to the, the sales methodology, that has gotten a lot better too. So, so okay. definitely some, some learning, some lessons. <laughs> so. How did your managers feel about it? Did it make sense to them at first or did you have to win some hearts and minds? I will say it did take a little bit of time. Um, you know, they were a little uncomfortable with, uh, you know, with the whole measurement and in the comparison of mm-hmm. their reps. Mm-hmm. But I think over time they've seen, they've been able to see how, you know, doing that bell curve comparison really does give you a really good view of where you are as a company. Yeah, because that buy-in, again, as we mentioned, was, was is, is so critical. Are there other yeah. adjustments that you've made over time or that maybe you're considering making? We don't want to give you, have you give away too many secrets, but. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think, you know, we are co- consistently looking at the way we do enablement. You know, obviously we all went virtual and then we thought we were going to not be virtual and we're mm-hmm. still virtual. Uh, mm-hmm. So I just think it's just kind of figuring out how we make these programs, uh, continue to make them dynamic, continue to make them impactful tie them to these performance measurements and what we're learning from that. So I just think it's a constantly evolving process just because of what's going on in the world. We also had a, a period of time where we weren't doing a ton of hiring. Now we're doing a ton of hiring. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, just looking at all those aspects, I think you have to constantly be agile and thinking about how we can t- continue to improve all our processes. And you mentioned acquisitions. That's another entire separate podcast. Definitely. Any of those of us who have been through an acquisition of any size and the bigger the hairier it gets, boy, that's just a different challenge, right? You don't you don't get these folks that are fresh and brand new and excited to learn, new on the job. You get folks that are probably a bit nervous. They've just been acquired and they already are deep into their quotas and their selling year, yet they need almost the same amount of enablement as a brand new rep. It's 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 um I gotta say that's a whole other conversation. Um, but I'm curious Having this approach in place, when that acquisition came in, were you able to find some application to, because again, I know the cha- personally know the challenges of creating a great experience for these acquired teams. Was the previous uh, metrics and the assessments you've done helpful in um, figuring out quickly what they need? They were definitely helpful. I would say with an acquisition, it's almost like a merger, though, like a oh. very, very similar size company. Okay. It, was, it was an acquisition, but, you know, we've also learned a lot from them. So I think being open is also good. When I mentioned our sales methodology, we actually, it was actually the sales methodology of the company we acquired <laughs> that we okay. rolled out. And so that's what helped us really reevaluate how we were doing the competency assessment and really tying it as we're rolling out this this new sales method, new, new to the legacy cornerstone people. 
uh, new sales methodology. So yeah, I think we've been able to to uh, really take advantage of what what we brought to the table and what we learned from them as well. If someone listening right now, because you know we've got such a range of folks that that are in sales enablement society and 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 come you know looking for help and resources from an army of one to large, large global with 150 sales enablers, right? But if someone's listening and they like what they're hearing, how would they go about starting to assess whether it's the right approach for their company? What, What first steps could you recommend for them? So the first step I would recommend is working with your sales insights slash sales operations team mm-hmm. because ours is pretty crazy busy <laughs> to make sure Been that there. they can even support mm-hmm. um, this process because it is asking for them to not only it's not just pulling the data, it's analyzing the data as well. And they're a very important part of that. And then also, like I said, working with your talent at org. We, we bring the two orgs together with our senior sales leadership and that's how this program came together. So just you just have to start talking your departments and I think you'll find that they're probably very anxious to work with you because ours definitely were and they definitely see the value that they're bringing to the company. I really appreciate the time you spent talking about this with us today. I know I've learned a few things. I'm going to take a few ideas back to my team so I'm sure a lot of other people are hearing good stuff and new stuff as well. I always like to end these sessions with giving our guests a chance to drop some knowledge, right? So if you could go back and talk to your younger self at the beginning of your career and, and give yourself one piece of career advice, what would that be? I think that's a great question. And I think since we've been talking a lot about data, I, I think back in the day, <laughs> and I, I've been in the, I, I've been in sales and over a long time as well, a different couple of different companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in the day, we, we just kind of guessed. <laughs> at what we needed and we didn't use data like and, and again part of that is because we didn't have the sales automation that we have today so i'm thankful yes. for that definitely. yeah good point but as as we started getting that sales automation if i had known then you know how much data could tell us and really drive to doing the right things i i would have been all over my sales operations <laughs> uh to use it but de- definitely until i came to cornerstone I, I that wasn't even i had no access so i definitely would tell myself to you know, go, go use the use the analytics, use the data to not only drive our programs. And I think I know we're all very interested in using the data to drive what what are our KPIs and how do we prove right the success of our programs. But I think you can use it both ways, um, both to to show that our programs are successful and then also to drive you know what what we're doing. Great, thanks for sharing that. So once again, everybody, we have just spent uh, the last 25 minutes uh, with Lisa Hammock from Cornerstone, and we've been talking about ways, I'm going to say even innovative ways that she and the team have been finding to use data in, in setting their enablement priorities. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate you all being here. I would be remiss if I didn't remind everybody that the Sales Enablement Society experience is in just a little over two weeks. If you haven't signed on, go and do it. Lisa, you probably back me up here. It's an amazing experience. And even having to take it virtual last year, we still had a lot that we could gain from being there. And they've upgraded the platform. I won't say too much, but it's going to be even yeah. better this year as a virtual experience. My whole team participated last year and they, they got incredible value out of it. Yeah, we're all we're all excited too. So with that, everybody, we'll see you until next time and we'll watch for you online for the SES experience. 
Thanks for joining this episode of Stories from the Trenches. For more sales enablement resources, be sure to join the Sales Enablement Society at www.sesociety.org. That's www.sesociety.org.